Welcome to Straight from the CPA's Mouth. I'm Chris Pilger, Director of Member Communications and Recruitment at CPA Alberta, and I'll be your host for today's show. My guest today is Jason Ding, and we're going to be discussing conflict, science, and biotechnology, and building a career around your interests. Did you hear that head office is implementing new diversity and inclusion initiatives? 10% of C-suite positions at Canada's 100 companies need to be more socially responsible. Big data represents a potential windfall of $30 billion for Canada. Do a comprehensive review of its taxes. 70% of Albertans say the economy is too dependent on oil and gas. Filter out the noise. Hear it straight from the CPA's mouth. Thanks for being with us, Jason. Why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about you and, and a bit, a little bit about your CPA career. You bet. Thanks very much and excited to be here. Uh, so a little bit about my career. I, I actually started off with a genetics degree um, and I worked in the labs in the summers, um, as most science students do. Uh, and then I had a really unique opportunity. So at the time, uh, Alberta Heritage Foundation for Medical Research, so HFMR, was around, and they had an, an internship program tied with CBC Radio. So over the course of that summer, I had a chance to meet people, uh, talk about really neat science stories, uh, communicate science, you know, through radio. So I went back to the lab, uh, the science lab, <laughs> the year after, and at that point decided, nope, I, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I, I really enjoy talking to people. And actually fell into uh, accounting. And so I, I ended up articling uh, with a national firm um, and then ended up making the switch actually into transactions. Um, that was a ton of fun, uh, the transactional piece. Um, and uh, I spent about five years in that space with, with Deloitte um, and then left. Um, and ended up in a really unique role as an executive in residence at a, an organization in town called Tech Edmonton. Uh, which is a incubator accelerator tied with the university. So, so think about all the patents and all the research that comes out of university research and on campus, and that those bits of IP and intellectual property and patents being spun into companies, and so helping those companies with raising capital and transactions and supporting them. Then got a call, uh, actually only about two and a half years ago, from Deloitte to come back. Uh, and currently, I lead the corporate finance M&A transactions practice uh, in the Emerson office, and nationally, the corp finance uh, group for life sciences and healthcare. Tell me a little bit about you. Kind of glossed over it really briefly. So, what what was the attraction to accounting? And uh, was there a conscious thought that maybe I can meld these two passions of mine? Yeah, it was. So I, I was stuck. I I wasn't sure that I necessarily want to go back. Wanted to go back into media, but at the same time, you know, wasn't really sure what. I could do with a science degree and what would come next. And fortunately, I had a very good friend of mine who he and I were working together um, who had actually done a, a science degree thinking about pharmacy, and he ended up going into accounting a year ahead of me. And so uh, I had the opportunity to join him at a couple of Meet the Firm nights when he was recruiting as part of his after-degree program and had a chance to meet some firms, have a chance to talk about career uh, progression with them, and and I was hooked, actually. And so... Once I finished up my science degree, I went straight into an after degree in business and went right into accounting. And when did you realize that that maybe those two kind of passions and, and things of yours weren't mutually exclusive, but that you could take that science background and, and make it part of your CPA career? One of the best things about public practice, and I, I love my time in public practice uh, on the accounting side, um, was the opportunity to... to experience and meet so many different clients in, in different sets. 
Um, I, I would say my first year, uh, you know, as a student, I really sort of followed, you know, the path of, you know, whatever sort of came my way, That that's what I worked on. Um, but as I saw the breadth of companies um, that, that our firm serviced, I, I made the decision actually to put my hand up and say, look, I'm really interested in tech. I'm really interested in life science projects. Uh, and they were really good to me. Actually, they they sent me out to Vancouver for about six months to work uh, an internship there. And as part of that work, I uh, I had the chance to do a couple of work on a couple of IPOs, secondary offerings, all of the accounting pieces related to that, uh, and audit pieces related to that. And when I came back, I said, you know, I want to do more of this. And and uh, the, the opportunity came up at Deloitte to do more transactional related work. Great. It's such a privilege when you can, and I'm sure it adds to your satisfaction that you have these two pieces of you that you're able to fulfill. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's definitely, it creates a niche for me around, you know, where I can work and really apply two different sets of education that I've been able to get. Um, and that has been, that's been fantastic. You know, the the personal satisfaction of not just, you know, being able to apply the knowledge, but I love life science and healthcare. I love the impact that that industry has on people and people's lives. Um, and then to be able to do that and marry that with my, you know, CPA background has been has been really fantastic. So you serve on the boards of Vaxelta, the Canadian Entrepreneurs in Life Sciences, TELUS World of Science. You talked about your time at Tech Edmonton. So you clearly have a big interest in the field. You've talked about that. So you know, biotechnology is kind of a growing business, uh, I think, across the world. And I think we're trying to develop a hub kind of here in Alberta and in Edmonton. So can you talk a little bit about that and, and kind of what where you see this industry going in the future? Yeah. And, and you know, my time with each of those organizations gives me something a bit different in terms of perspective on how the landscape is changing. So, so Vaxalta is a very unique company. They, they're, a, they're an animal vaccine R&D company, one of the companies that I helped spin out of the university. Um, and they are working on vaccines that'll help with protecting um, the food chain. And so seeing sort of, you know, cutting edge, brand new technology that's being developed and helping that company, you know, as a board member has been has been really rewarding. Um, you know, tell us what are the science, amazing in, you know, education and really advocating for science um, with students. Um, and then cells completely different. So, so Canadian Entrepreneurs in Life Science, that's a Canadian expat organization in Silicon Valley, in California, focused on helping Canadian companies soft land in California. So whether that's raising capital, uh, getting an education, meeting you know, large pharma companies in, in the U.S. to help mentorship, uh, help with mentorship or help with uh, supporting companies in their, in their commercialization path. Um, having Canadians in California supporting Canadian companies uh, is a really neat initiative. And so yeah. that's been um, uh, also rewarding. And so, you know, as the landscape continues to change in Canada, there are lots and lots of tools and lots of uh, resources available to entrepreneurs and students uh, and inventors. And so it's just accessing those different portals. And do you think that, uh, do you see this industry continuing to grow, especially here in Alberta, and, and diversification of the economy has been talked about my lifetime, but but do you think that's one promising path? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so heavy investment right now, certainly in Alberta, around um, AI, so artificial intelligence and machine learning, and and there's a, a real opportunity for health and, and some of these tools and, and digital health, we'll call it, to really make a resurgence here. I mean, we have an amazing resource in Alberta, having been one of the largest sort of consolidators of health regions 
in the country. As a result of that, that's created a data warehouse to allow us to really, you know, take 4 million people within one one data set and to be able to mine that data for, you know, interesting opportunities either, you know, to treat diseases or to look at genetic patterns or to impact, you know, how how care is provided. The opportunity in Alberta really is second to none. And so a lot of what's happening right now is, you know, taking that asset and trying to figure out how to properly use it so that we can advance care. Uh, in in the province, and so you know we're seeing this model being looked at by other provinces. Um, we're seeing partnerships uh, in Alberta with large pharma companies, large digital health companies, in being able to access that data to be able to support really next next generation health support. Do you think the general public realizes how how much these sorts of industries touch their daily life, and and do you think? kind of secondarily to that, that there's some misconceptions around the field. Yeah, I probably, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have a good, I don't think I have a good answer to that question. I, you know, healthcare touches our lives in so many different ways. Um, And again, those data assets right, right now in Alberta are still relatively disparate. And, and a lot of the, the work right now that's being done is how do we take all of those assets and actually put them together so that we can mine it properly. And this is happening all over the place. And, and in terms of what the public understands of what's happening with that, I don't know that, um, I don't know that all of that is necessarily coming out. I think, you know, people focus on their immediate healthcare, their immediate yeah. needs. Um, and, and the bigger picture sometimes gets, gets lost in all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And yet, it does make a difference, as you said. It's you know making a difference to people's lives, kind of on a on a daily basis. Are there opportunities? Do you think you're you're heavily in the space? Do you think there's opportunities for CPAs even more in the field and and into the future? Yeah, definitely. So so one of the things that's happening right now is, um, and of course, I work on the on the on the merger and acquisition side, and so we see a lot of transactions that happen where international investment dollars flow into Canada. Um, to acquire companies, to invest in companies, to help companies grow. And what we're seeing right now is there's a lot of noise, you know, in in the market around recession talk, right? So global recession, uh, what happens if there is a global recession from a due diligence perspective? Probably one of the first questions um, our clients are getting asked as part of a sale process is, you know, how did you perform in the last recession? Because investors are conscious about, you know, making an investment today and what happens with that investment as part of that that, you know, if a recession happens. Uh, the interesting thing about healthcare is it's generally seen as recession-proof or, or counter-cyclical to, uh, you know, a, a market downturn. And so we're seeing a flood of capital come into healthcare right now. So so the, the investment dollars, the interest um, in rolling up healthcare, and, and Canada is relatively fragmented around healthcare, um, the, the, the investment that's currently being made in healthcare is tremendous. And the number of new investment firms, private equity firms, family offices, um, and portfolio uh, decisions being made around healthcare is is growing right now. And so we're we're very busy with um, transactions in the space currently. And is that where you think you provide the most value with your CPA background is in that transaction space? Yeah, I, you know, and it's you know, and that's that's just for me, and that's a personal decision that I've made. I I love the transaction space. You know, and and it's not that I didn't enjoy my time in audit. 
Um, but you know, transactions and M and A is really what gets me um, going, and and you know, gets me out of bed in the morning. Is is you know, getting onto that next next transaction. That you know, so I'll, I'll give you a bit of an example. We we worked on a deal with a company um, that was that had basically a, a phase three, uh, so a drug, a multiple sclerosis drug in phase three clinical trials, and that product. Um, was going to be life-changing for a number of patients. And you could tell from the people that had worked in that company all the way through that, you know, the, the impact that that was going to be, that was going to have to their patients, um, to their family, some of their family members was going to be tremendous. And so we assisted them with uh, commercializing the product by licensing that that particular drug to a company called Eli Lilly. So a large pharmaceutical company based in the U.S., and when that deal was done, I mean, everyone was relieved, exhilarated, excited about having concluded this fantastic transaction that was going to make such a big difference to people. Um, and I couldn't get away from that feeling. And it's again, it's not that you know other parts of what we can do uh, as CPAs um, is not valuable. It was just for me, that's really what caught my my attention, my focus, and what really drove me to to doing transactional work. This is a really specific question, but what would surprise people about the process of getting a drug to market? <laughs> uh, how, how expensive it is, I think, and how long it takes. So one of the things that people don't necessarily understand is that um, patents actually, to, to get a patent actually is, is not that expensive um, relative to the cost of developing the drug. So the patent actually comes up you know, quite early in the process, you've, you've developed, let's say, a new chemical entity that you think is going to have an impact in cancer. That gets patented right away because what you want to do is you want to protect it and make sure that no one else, you know, has access to that invention. From there, it's 12 to 14 years to get the drug to market, assuming all clinical trials are successful. And a cost of about $2 billion is the last estimate. Wow. What people also don't understand is that patent life is 20 years. So you basically, at the end of, let's say, 13 years of getting a drug through that process, uh, you have seven years basically to recoup that cost and to make your profit. And then the day that you are genericized and your patent expires, you know you have eight to 10 generics ready to go uh, to replace you and, and your market share falls away and your pricing falls away quite drastically. What people also don't understand is that it's probably a 5% success rate from beginning to end. Right. So out of 20 drugs, 19 of them will fail. And you'll have put in a very, very significant amount of money in order to get to that point. So basically, you get to the end, you know, 20 years, you'll have tried, you know, 20 times, 19 will have failed, 2 billion to get all the way through. So you wouldn't have spent 2 billion on each of them, but a very substantial cost for, for all your failures, plus the full 2 billion to get to market. And then, you know, it's quite expensive as well to manufacture uh, to distribute globally. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, drug prices are high, absolutely. Um, but it's also very, very challenging to get to the end. Absolutely. And how can CPAs help in that process? Yeah, so, so the transactional element actually within the life sciences space is quite important. Um, so raising capital. Um, and and in, for a small biotech, even if they're able to raise the $2 billion to get to the end, to build out a global sales force, a global team, manufacture you know that to that scale is almost impossible. 
which is why the licensing exit is the most common exit for just about every biotech company that's developing a new drug. They need the resources of a Pfizer or a Roche and Eli Lilly and Merck to help them get to the end, right? And so most will take the drug to the end of phase two. They don't want to raise the next sort of 500 million uh, or more to get to, you know, through phase three into the end. And so they partner with a large pharma company who basically leases for all intents and purposes or licenses the intellectual property and says, we get exclusive use of this drug and we'll finish development and uh, and we'll, we'll take that from you. All the way along, though, you know, that biotech company is, you know, going to need tax support, shred, um, tax credits in Canada, uh, audits to support, you know, their, their investors, um, you know, a, probably a go public transaction at some point. And so, you know, there's a lot actually that CPAs can do all the way across that entire spectrum and, and life cycle. And I think you, you mentioned it earlier and even kind of that. When you're talking about all the data, and even that data analytics is is something that CPAs are are well equipped, and I think becoming increasingly well equipped to handle. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, new tools and and new processes, new new sort of thoughts around how to manage that data and mine it um, for insights is something that CPAs are excellent at. Yeah. Circle back a bit more to your career, and you've talked about this a bit, but w- what are kind of the the favorite aspects of of what you do? So, so we, within our practice, actually focus only on private companies. So when we talk to business owners about an exit or succession planning, it is different than working with, with public companies where, you know, the singular focus of a public company transaction typically is, you know, value for the shareholder. And that's it. So we, we recently, for instance, did a transaction, quite a large one, with, with a private company owner. Um, we received multiple offers, and uh, along with those multiple offers, there was language and commitments being made around, you know, how the legacy would be treated, how the staff would be retained, um, how they would bring the the, the business forward. A- and the owner in that particular case basically decided that he wasn't going to take the highest offer, the highest price, that he was going to take the one that fit his value set the best. And that was amazing to watch, yeah. um, and and really was for me, you know, one of the transactions where I really really enjoyed watching someone base, basically faced with this decision around sort of his values and and dollars, and decided basically that he would land on on the value set, which was again fantastic to watch. So I love that. I love you know the the team aspect, and that I think that's that's everywhere and and anywhere with with CPAs. We've got a great team, and, and so working with them every day is is just a joy. So, you know, we talked about how lucky you've been or uh, to be able to meld those two passions, but do you think that's unique to you, or do you think that's uh, something broadly that a CPA designation offers? I, I think it's about following your passion. I I mean, it's, it's definitely luck. There's an element of luck, but there's also an element of really understanding, you know, what do you care about? For instance, friends, you know, one individual I'm thinking of particularly, you know, got her CPA designation, but was just just love fashion, and so she ended up leaving the firm and and accounting behind, and went actually to a big fashion school in in the U.S. Came back and is now, um, you know, doing marrying those same skills, her 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 love for fashion and and her accounting background uh, together. Uh, another friend of mine um, is passionate about sports. And so, 
you know, has done a ton of work, again, with his CPA, but also, you know, doing international sports competitions um, and finding ways to either audit or, you know, be involved with the accounting of uh, major sports events. And so it's it's really about, you know, taking the platform, I think, that is accounting um, and finance and and everything that you've learned, I think, through that through that process of getting your designation, whether it's in a firm or an industry, um, but marrying that up with what you really love doing, and um, and uh, I mean that there's tons of opportunity for that. And so, what advice would you have to say a student who might be listening on kind of the steps they could take to have that sort of opportunity and career? A big part of it is is understanding yourself and then just being courageous around putting your hand up and saying, you know, this is what I love doing. This is a big part of my life. My career will be better if I take these various pieces and put them together. And you know, I, I'm going to enjoy my clients more. I'm going to I'm going to enjoy my work more. Uh, and and you know, that's that's what I that's that's the viewpoint I've taken in terms of moving that forward. Great. So our last podcast guest left us with the following question. What is your approach to resolving conflict? So what is your approach to resolving <laughs> conflict? <laughs> so, so I also glossed over a, a very short, but probably the most important stint I did in my career. Um, so when I was a, actually when I was a business student for the two years, I was also lucky enough to take on a part-time role at the university as an ombudsman. So I was a student ombudsman for the University of Alberta for a two-year period. And during that time, they basically required us to get certified in interest-based negotiation and mediation. Wow. So yeah, so I had, uh, I had two years of training uh, supporting uh, two support students in you know, all sorts of things that came up as an, as an ombudsperson in, in, at the university. And that really shaped how I communicated with um, with students, but then you know, with clients, with staff members, with team members, throughout my career, um, and my approach to conflict actually is is listening. So, yeah. I was just joking with my wife the other day. We love watching the show Suits, but you could make a drinking game out of every time they say, you know, before you say anything, and then they go into a tirade, <laughs> and the drama ensues. You know, if they just sort of took the, a moment and said, you know, give me your point of view, help me understand why this matters to you, it would have made all the difference and it would be a far less dramatic show. <laughs> um, but, but it, you know, it, it certainly, you know, the, the level of conflict that, that you see, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis, even in the workplace would, would be far less. You know, when we, when we talk about transactions and we talk about negotiating, everyone thinks that, you know, price is everything and price is important as part of our negotiations, but actually, if you sit back and talk to owners around, you know, what matters to you and why is someone on the other side of the conversation taking a different position? You know, if you ask the right questions around why that, that position is important, you know, how are they seen, let's say, by their peers or their bosses, uh, which is why they're taking a certain position and whether or not we can get them that while getting what, what it is that we need, we can get to a, uh, a very successful resolution that works for both sides and a true win-win. What do you think the differences are between people who are good at handling conflict and uh, and coming up with a resolution and those who aren't? So, so the listening piece is a part of it. Um, and so I often find that, that individuals are very quick to stick to positions. So this is what I want without delving into the why. 
And so, you know, taking the time in terms of preparation uh, and, and people who, let's say, prepare for those types of conversations and being really genuine about this is why this matters to me makes a big difference to, um, you know, the, a successful outcome of a, of a negotiation. I think the second piece is creativity. So once you sort of get through the the willingness to listen piece, the other aspect of it is being creative about solutions. So if this is really what you care about and this is what we care about, you know, actually there's a couple of different ways that we can attack this problem. And it doesn't have to be a, you know, column A, column B only solution. It's, you know, how do we find a way to mix that up and make sure that we're both getting what we want? So yeah, I, I would say, you know, between listening and being creative, that's, and caring. I mean, that's, and maybe that's, that's the underpinning of everything is you have to care about the other person on the other side. If you don't care about the person on the other side, you know, you're not going to listen uh, and you're not going to be, want, you're not going to want to get creative around finding that win-win solution. I had a great example of a creative solution to a conflict I saw the other day, which was uh, down in Calgary where uh, it was a real estate transaction. Someone was buying a house and they, they were $3,000 apart, uh, the buyer and the seller. And uh, the seller discovered that the buyer was a former pro hockey player and he happened to be a goaltender in a you know men's league. So he said, why don't we do a shootout best of 11 for the $3,000 difference? So that's what, the, that's what they did. They rented a nice time and they uh, had a shootout and it turns out that the uh, the seller, so the, uh, the, the beer league goalie uh, came out on top. So he, he got his extra $3,000. But... Creative resolution to conflict for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We um, we did one transaction where the uh, the son of the seller. So we were we were at this particular transaction. We were on the buy side. The son of the seller was on an industry association. So we were we were going to acquire the company, and and the assumption on the side of the buyer who was who was selling was that her, her son. Um, was going to have to leave the industry association. She was. She mentioned in a in a conversation um, where she said it's really too bad. My son, you know, is is the vice chair. Um, is going to be chair next year. You know, once this transaction happens, you know, unfortunately, he's not going to be able to fill that. And so we we knew um, going into the bidding process that we were we did not have the highest bid by price, but we put in there that our CEO would not step into that role. That we would allow her son to take on that chair role and actually the the past chair role as well. And we ended up winning that that process because we listened, because we heard what was important. And it wasn't, again, just price. It was also, you know, what was good for her family. Yeah, and I think, you know, that speaks to kind of your earlier point and, and about values. You, you understood, took the time to care and understand that, the values were important there, and and so I think that's a, a really good example. Can there be such a such a thing as positive or or good conflict, particularly in the workplace? Do you think it ever can can lead to something? Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, conflict is you know a great way to look at conflict is it's an opportunity to arrive at a better place, right? Um, there's a difference in opinion. There's a difference of sort of what individuals want. But if you can resolve that in a true win-win, actually both people get further ahead and you get a very positive result out of that conflict. And so, you know, if everyone is caring, takes the time to listen and, and is creative around those solutions, you actually, I think every time can get ahead with a positive solution that, that works for everyone. Yeah, so sometimes I think in a workplace there's a tendency if there's no conflict 
that's great, but it might not be because you might it, there it it might be symptomatic of a bigger issue or a problem where people aren't comfortable speaking up or, or going against the grain or sharing creativity, and it's just well we'll just we'll just go along with the ride. Yeah, avoiding conflict is not a great thing. I mean, things never get resolved; and they hang there. No one's really speaking their mind around what it is that they want, or someone's caving into everything, right? They're not communicating what it is that they want, and someone is maybe a little bit more aggressive about it, and there's an imbalance in the relationship. If there's an opportunity for everyone to engage equally and, again, to to level that that playing field and, and make sure that everyone feels heard, you know, conflict is a great thing, um, you know, assuming that we can get to the right resolution in each case. Yeah, and I think those underpinnings the way you've laid them out are, are, are just perfect and, and really would lead to a to successful positive resolution in, in any situation. Jason, it's been great chatting with you. Uh, I'm really glad you could take the time to do this. It was just a, a fascinating discussion, so thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. It's great. Straight from the CPA's mouth is centered around Alberta CPAs discussing everything from leadership to finance to education. So before we end this episode... Jason, could you pose a question for our next guest to tackle? Absolutely. So so what I want to hear about is um, from your next guest, what is the wisest thing that you have ever heard someone say? I think that's a fascinating question. I look forward to to hearing those. Before I wrap up, do you have any other thoughts that you'd like to share? No, this was great. A ton of fun. Thanks so much for the invite. Really enjoyed it. There you have it, everyone. Straight from the CPA's mouth. You'll have to wait until December to hear the next CPA talk about wise things they've heard, however. For those of you who don't know, next month is Financial Literacy Month. To explore all things related to financial literacy, straight from the CPA's mouth, we'll be taking a break from our usual episode format and releasing special episodes during the month of November. In the meantime, again, thank you, Jason, for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks to all of you for listening, and be sure to check out our special upcoming episodes on financial literacy. And remember to join our subscriber list in order to get access to exclusive content. You can sign up and get more information at cpaalberta.ca slash podcast. Straight from the CPA's mouth is brought to you by the CPA Education Foundation. The CPA Education Foundation is the charitable arm of the Alberta CPA profession, providing up to $1.2 million each year in support of business and accounting education in the province. This podcast is just one of many resource materials available through the Heshi CPA Knowledge Centre. This virtual hub features Alberta CPAs sharing their unique perspective and vast expertise on topics and issues such as leadership, finance, entrepreneurship, and more. Visit cpaalberta.ca slash foundation for more information on the Heshi CPA Knowledge Centre and to learn how Alberta CPAs inspire success.